Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome into the Inside Carolina On the Beat Live podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Place to get your Carolina gear, no matter the season, no matter the reason. Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street. Visit them, get everything you need. Spring's coming up. It's good. It was warm today. Uh, it, it's warm up here in my man cave. I probably need some more Johnny T-Shirt swag uh, that's a little cooler that you can get from them. You can order it online. You can take care of everything you want, trinkets, um, gear, jerseys, fantastic place to get all you need. Sponsor them. They sp- or take care of them. They sponsor this podcast. And, of course, Inside Carolina Premium subscribers get 10% off your everyday order. It's on the beat. With On The Beat Live means Gregory Hall has joined me here live, our friends and family in the chat. Greg Barnes will be on in just a few minutes. Somebody in the chat said Greg needs to make 10 putts before he leaves. Got to get those putts up. You, it's almost you golf drive, season. Yeah, you drive for show, you putt for dough. Greg Barnes will wear you out in that aspect of the game. But Gregory, let's get into uh, this a little bit. I can't say that I expected to do this podcast on Thursday night um, in the wake of literally a wake for Carolina basketball, losing to Pittsburgh. It was not a good showing last night for Carolina. You saw it. Um, everybody else saw it. Carolina cannot lose games like that ever. And here's a stat that was interesting to me, and I don't know if you heard it. I assume you did. If you go strictly by the rankings – and whatever ranking it was, it was Carolina's worst loss in 14 years, losing to Pittsburgh last night in the Smith Center. Can't happen. What do you think? I believe it was tied for the third worst loss in the, like, uh, Ken Palm era, maybe. Like, as far as, like, um, I don't know how Ken Palm goes back until, like, the early 2000s. So, I mean, I guess really 20 years. Um and then tied third as well in the since the net's been around because Pitt was like 173rd. Um, and I guess it's a Q3 loss. Somehow they moved up Pitt because of the way, and I mean, that accelerated them. And so it's a quarter, it's a quad three loss for Carolina. But I mean, I was expecting after watching the Florida State game, right, that UNC, we were, we were going to be talking about UNC being firmly off the bubble um and was going and we were going to be talking about how like a recap of last week with all right they won in a big way um and then they hand they beat pit like they needed to and then this is they just need to keep that trajectory moving forward and then then they're they're fine because then they would easily have slid up into probably an eight seed but uh what what is this if not entertainment value at this point as far as like what like what's going to happen next type of deal right because 
I just watched the second half back because um, I didn't watch it last night live, but I wanted to make sure to see kind of the failed comeback or the too late comeback that happened. Um, and Hubert during the preseason talked, I mean, he, the old cliche of, um, I don't want us to play with a sense of urgency, sense of emergency. Right. And UNC didn't start playing with that until there was eight minutes left and they were still flirting with being down by like 15 or a little bit more than that, but they were down 17 at halftime and had played awful for the entire first half. And that sense of emergency didn't show up until 12 minutes into the second half. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense Um, because it's not like Pitt came out and shot lights out at the beginning of the second half. And it was just like, all right, tip your cap to them. Right. Um, But then the way UNC played and those last up until the, uh, when Brady got the turnover um, with like a minute 43 left and passed it to Caleb and it just bounced off Caleb's hands and went out. And then UNC didn't score the rest of the way when they were down six there for that, like six minute stretch of eight minute mark to a minute and 43 was honestly just as, if not better than the type of bat. I mean, it was way better than basketball UNC played in the second half against Florida state. Right. Cause they were just kind of cruising in the second half. And after the, whatever the craziness that happened in the first half, but yeah, did not expect to sit here looking at you talking about um, how UNC is back into the last four in category. Um, so pretty, yeah, I don't really think anybody saw it coming. Um, could you have pretty like no, I mean Sherell said it best on he did a post game with Joey Powell in my absence last night. And basically in a nutshell, Sherell is much nicer putting things together than I am. Um basically said that you can expect nothing from this team other than um stuff like this. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason, there's no consistency other than they're just consistently mediocre at times terrible at other times and play pretty good once in a while here's my take on it and and this is why the florida state game mattered to me florida state was bad carolina wore them out in the first half i haven't seen carolina basketball look like that now it's relative to the talent they've done it to nc state but that second half to me watching how carolina just sort of lackadaisically went through the second half against florida state was not good And I said as much watching the game in the Smith Center. Yeah, when you're up 30 or 40 points or whatever they were up, it's hard to to keep motivated. But they look listless at times against Florida State. Florida State built that. So Florida State took a blowout in the first half, came back, played well in the second half, parlayed it into a win in their next game. Carolina looked as good as they've looked all season against Florida State in the first half, slept through the second half, and parlayed it into the worst loss in however many years we've talked about with so much on the line. That's what I cannot figure out about this team. And and it's clear Hubert Davis can't figure it out, right? None of the coaching staff can figure it out. We can debate whether it's a coaching issue or, or whatever. I've got my thoughts on that. But the bottom line is, is that those guys that put this uniform on can't figure out that you cannot – half tail it at all in this level and that's what they did in the second half against florida state and then it carried over pittsburgh came out slapped them in the face i mean pittsburgh look 
I'm going to say something that's probably not nice about people that have played at Carolina. But if if Jason Capel, who played at Carolina, gave his blood, sweat, and tears, but was also a part of some really, really bad teams at Carolina, is going to talk about you being soft and, and you having issues like that, then w- where is this program? You know, what does that speak to as far as what we saw last night? I don't know who's to blame for the the fact that they're so up and down. But at some time, at some point, there's either got to be repercussions or there's got to be results. And we haven't seen either watching this team at all, all season. What are we, 26 games in? Yeah. And, and the same, you know, those guys got scholarships too. It looked to me like they did not believe that Pittsburgh was a, something to worry about. It looked like kind of like the football team plays at time. It was just fascinating to to see that you can flip a switch on and you can flip a switch off. And I think that Sherelle's point and Joey and he both discussed it. Coming back when you're down 20-something, it's easy to hit shots when you're down 20-something. Nobody cares. It's tough not – it's tough when it's a tight game and you man up and you make shots when it when it matters. When you're down 15 or 20, it's easy. The basket is really big. And that's what I saw for Carolina coming back. But when it got close, then it tightened up again. And somebody posted in the chat, and Pittsburgh's actually 11 and 16 now, Scott Holland, because they pulled off one <laughs> in the Smith Center in a game that Carolina could not lose – at all and it'll be it'll be one of those games in my opinion maybe i'm overhyping it you tell me you're you're closer to it than i am at this point and greg can certainly comment this is one of those games that people don't forget you can make it back but this is one of those games that people will look at as it wasn't purdue it wasn't tech or kentucky it wasn't tennessee it was pittsburgh and that yeah and it's like someone people were being like, um, there's two sides of it. There's people that like me who was genuinely surprised of the result. And then there's others being like, oh, this team has been inconsistent all year. Sure. But you look at who they were good against and who they were bad against. And they were bad against the good teams and good against like that is one thing for the first 25 games of the season that you could look at the opponent and know which UNC team was going to show up. If it was a good team, then UNC was going to lose. It was that simple. Um, and if they were a bad team, that they were going to find a way to win. And so watching this game at the beginning, when Pitt did hit him in the mouth, I was like, okay, this is just like the Clemson game, right? Clemson was up 19 to eight and then UNC came back, but then that never happened. And I think that's, I just, that's the part where it's like, okay, against the better teams, against the Kentuckys, against the Dukes, um, against the Tennessees, whatever, you can be like, okay, it didn't happen because those teams are insurmountably better than Carolina. Pittsburgh is not insurmountably better than Carolina. They're just not. Um, they played better. Right. Like I can't we can't sit here and say Pitt played awful, shouldn't have won that game. UNC played even worse. Right. That wasn't the case. 
Um, but it's just like, and, and someone mentioned uh, officiating physicality. Yeah, it was a physical game. Um, Baycott was getting slammed down low, but he was also doing some of the slamming on the other end. So it's just like you got to play to what the what I, I didn't think any there was a lot of inconsistencies in the officiating, which is kind of why what people get mad at. Um, so I don't think that's something that you can look at and being like, oh, they were they were letting Pitt play, but they weren't letting Carolina play, blah, 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 stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's just like it's not good. And UNC what? couldn't find any will in the first half or even coming out of halftime. Um, which is just, it doesn't make any sense. Do you think the Virginia Tech game on Saturday had anything to do with it, the looking ahead? If, if this team is looking ahead to anybody, uh, then that's a coaching problem, in my opinion, because that can't happen. Now, players, coaches can get up and say, we, we take it one game at a time and we're going to blah, blah. That happens. Players like to look at that schedule and see, and I don't care what players say, they know who's on schedule coming up. If Carolina overlooked Pittsburgh, given how Carolina has played this season, then that falls on the grown-ups in the room. I said the same thing during football season, right? Yeah. How many times did I say the grown-ups in the room during football season? A lot. A lot. And it's the same type deal. You have to check your players and get them focused in. You don't. You shouldn't have to coach effort. You shouldn't have to coach intensity and all that stuff. But you have to get them focused in. And that's the issue that this team has had. And that's the question. Look, you, you mentioned the second half here. What, what's the number that I saw? What number? They, they, they stopped Pittsburgh. They, Pittsburgh uh, failed on 12 of 16 of their possessions to start the second half. Something yeah, like they that. they were they were four of fifteen from the floor to start the second half, and all four of those were threes. And they still led by twenty one points after shooting four of fifteen. That's that's disturbing to me because you're coming out of a first, out of a halftime, right? Vip in the in the chat mentioned, and Vip, you can come join in. You can yeah, jump in here. We'll send in you here, the link. Homie. Come on and get in here. You know, don't be peanut gallery. Even though I'm gonna I'm gonna steal your quote. If they if you practice bad and it carries over to games, that's one thing. But that is an issue that should not happen at this level. It should not be allowed to let happen. And, and to see it happen repeatedly to Carolina, somebody mentioned they've had some bad losses. This is the first loss against a bad team. Who's the bad team here? Right? Who is the – Pittsburgh played. Pittsburgh did what they had to do. And as Vip mentioned, if these situations are happening 26 games in, 25, 26 games in, then there's bigger issues. And, and folks need to realize, and this is something we've talked about, a Hall of Fame coach retired and got out of it because of this these type situations. So there, there it is. And, and then we expect any different when somebody that hasn't done it. I think that is a huge aspect of it. It doesn't absolve anybody of anything, but what it says is that these guys have not learned the importance of busting your tail for 40 minutes on every night. And you can lose to anybody. And Carolina proved it losing Pittsburgh. And I want to stay on the uh, adults in the room thing, right? Because Hubert's correct when he says his team has been able to bounce back 
successfully over and over again. Um, after getting destroyed by Miami and Wake, uh, they turn around and they go on a four-game win streak with two uh, or with the overtime loss against Louisville. Like, that's a good way to bounce back, right? Um, they lost to Purdue in Tennessee, and then they handled – uh, outside of Kentucky, they hand they went on five like they handled things for five games. Like this team has been able to bounce back. What I think is the most more important thing is being able to do it within a game. And if Hubert can get them and the staff can get them to bounce back after a bad game, and I understand the dynamics are different, but what is the issue with getting them to be able to do it within that 40 minute when that two hour window, right? Because there's halftime for a reason. There are media time. Like there are so many opportunities to try to whatever tactic he wants to use, whether it's making them laugh and just being like, guys, just let some of that release off, which has, has worked. It worked again. It worked in Clemson. It's just, where is that disconnect? Um, and maybe that's too far gone that it can't happen. Who like, right. Like, but, it, but, it, but it did happen in the peak game, but it just happened with eight minutes left when it should have happened with 28 minutes left. That's what it's like. It shouldn't have had to happen. That's but, the yeah, point. But, yeah. But it's, it, I don't want to talk. I don't think that's fair because that's something we, I mean, we've talked all season. That's just what this team is at this point. Right. I don't think that can change at this point, but doing something you've already done, and had to, and, and did last week. Why can't that occur in your own home court? The crowd did everything it could to will that team last night. And it yeah. just, and yes, some shots were not falling, right? Like Brady's shots, shot wasn't there. He wasn't taking bad shots. Um, but then Kerwin's shot was there. Obviously, Caleb and RJ's shot was not there at all until late. So it's like, I, yeah, it's just, I mean, not having, not Baycott, and we can talk about this for a little bit. What did you, I want to get your thoughts and Greg, when he, if he gets in here on how, how you thought Baycott handled the physicality down low. Uh, not well, but he still got to have more shots. I mean, the, the game plan against not only Baycott, but against this Carolina team. And it has been this, it really has been this for a long time. But a lot lately is just hack them, foul them, push them, be physical, and they fold up. And that's not an indictment on any one guy. That is that is how it's been. And Baycott has struggled with somebody who will bully him. I think he's fantastic in certain games. He is, uh, you know, he's as skilled of a big man as Carolina's had in the last five or six years. Um, but he struggles with physicality. And why is that? You know, is he not getting it in practice? Is he not getting it in um, outside of games? I, I don't know. But to your point, if, if I'm a big going up against Baycott, whether he's got me on size-wise or not, I'm going to bully him. And I'm going to do everything I can to get him out of his comfort zone. And Carolina has not shown the ability to adjust to that. It's not just Baycott. It's not just one player right, adjusting. right. It's everybody, and it's almost like you go rudderless when, you're, when your guy goes to it. And somebody mentioned no double-double. I mean, 
numbers are nice, but you got to be effective. And he just wasn't effective. But but what gets me, and this goes back to sort of the the starting early, and the reason I said it shouldn't happen is Gregory, it, the game is easier when you have no expectations. And I think that has a lot to do with, A, being able to come back like they did. Because, I mean, the game's over when you're down that much uh, without a miracle. Well, there's no expectations. When you get blown out by Tennessee, Kentucky, or whatever, then there's no expectations. So you go out and you play well. Granted, the, the level of competition is less. Um, we can debate that, but this group functions better when there's when nobody expects anything and the players i think go that the only time people have expectations or is against duke the fan base wants them to beat duke and wants them to do that they struggled with those expectations against duke because they got worn out but against other teams that they've been able to match physically um and, and emotionally they do well because there's no expectation otherwise. And I don't know if I'm talking around myself, but I'm telling you, when you're down 20, the basket is as big as it gets, right? Sure. When it's a one-point game, like the women's team tonight, when it's a tight game, that basket shrinks into one of those fairgrounds at the state fair baskets. And I think this team has been great when it's a hula hoop. And when it has become the the state fair basketball rim they just can't figure out how to get it done i thought baycott looked desperate because of that physicality and i think it's kind of the best way i've been able to uh try to describe what happens to this team when it does get hit is they rarely try to do something different and that's when it's like that's when the bad shots happen and i think that's the type of play that um, to segue here is not NCAA tournament worthy. Um, they, and I know we were talking last week about how if they just handle it, they can go to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. But a bad loss changes that. So I just want to clear the air there with that. It's, do I think this team can still make the tournament? Yes. Do I think if they play like last night more, um, than they should, then of course not. But as far as the play and what happens when they get the physicality brought to them, the desperation occurs. And you look at Baycott's play. He gets pushed the first time or the second time, and he, he goes up and he tries to go around his man. And he doesn't get the layup. He tries to do the exact same thing the next time down the court. Or he doesn't look to pass out and things like that. And then Caleb does the same thing where he drives and it doesn't work and he just does it again. Um, and it's there's no variety when things aren't going well. And when things are going well, that's when you see the great cuts from Manic and you see the great outlet passes from Love and you see the drive and kicks from RJ and you see Kerwin doing hitting his shots and you see like you know what I mean? Um, there's no counter. Of, there's no counter exactly to the counter, you know. If they get countered and obviously Pitt did stuff last night that UNC was not expecting. That's obvious. And if they weren't expecting Pitt to play like that, then I don't, I don't, yeah, there you I don't, go. I don't that, have that, an answer. For that. That's those grownups in the room, right? You have to expect, <laughs> I mean, there's an MO against Carolina in basketball and in football, to be honest, but there's an MO. If you are not prepared for what that brings, then I'm not quite sure 
what the point of the conversation is, you know, because yeah, it's, right. it's, we're beyond rational thought. And you know, teams are going to, Baycott knows teams are going to come out and be physical with him. Every team that they've played has tried. ACC, whether the ACC is down or not, has guys that are capable of doing that. You know, the, the only time, it, Virginia game, for instance, they beat the heck out of Virginia and they beat the heck out of, and they got him out of the game early by splitting his head open, but the Shedrick kid from Holly Springs. Baycott discarded him, wrecked that kid for that game, and then he had a good ball game and played well. Right. Look, look what that same guy did against Duke, right? It isn't, he went off against Duke. He was like eight for eight or nine for nine or something crazy, eight for 10, and Cameron, they beat Duke. You have to start early and set the tone early. I don't think that's that, – to your point, that's what Carolina does not do well at all. They've and only I think, done it twice. Yeah, you come out and you be the one that smack them. And that, to me, that lies on the coaching staff. It is to – we're going to come out and set a tone early. And too many times, almost except for the two games you mentioned, but nearly every single game this year, the tone's been set by the opponent. Carolina's won 18 ball games, but I'd like to go back and look and study it. How many of those games was Carolina behind at some point? Most of them. Yeah. If not all of them, except a couple. I mean, the two, you know, NC State's a different animal. Florida State, they destroyed. Virginia, they destroyed. And Michigan, I think Michigan led at some point early in that one, the, the games that stick out. But the, the problem is, is that this team reacts rather than imposing will. And that, to me, watching Carolina basketball over the last three years has been the thing that's so different, so different than anything um, we've seen in a long time. It's different coaches, right? It's, different coaching staffs. Yeah. And, and somebody that I love to death said common denominators. But the bottom line is, if the common denominators are a problem, you as a as a coach has to do something about that, and and that really hasn't been done. So here we are. You got any questions on this YouTube chat? Yeah, well, Greg gets in here. I'll get to some. Um, someone brought up Lenardi's what UNC Lenardi has UNC as last four in right now, and it's just like, do you think that's actually true? I don't. The reason why that is still the case, and Drew Krebs brought this up, is if the the ACC season ended today. UNC would have a double buy and would be the fourth best team in the ACC. So that's kind of why they're still tiptoeing the bubble. Um, if that wasn't the case, then there's not really, you can't like basically four ACC teams make the tournament. I don't think we're going to see less than that. So that's why to answer that question, Greg, welcome. Hello, gentlemen. Sorry for the delay. No, uh, you missed me on the soapbox. And, nice. Uh, all the stuff you've heard before, I'm sure. It's just that, um, you know, you. What, who's the NFL coach that says, we knew who they were. We knew exactly who they were or whatever. That Dennis Green. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, like where they are. Talking about the NCAA tournament, Greg, to, to Gregory's point, to, take, to build off of that, what is – how big a deal is a bad loss versus a good win? Because I think Saturday night Virginia Tech would be a pretty good win, but how do you how does how do you offset a loss like last night against Pittsburgh? You have to offset it with, with good wins. 
um, I wrote after the game the other night that the North Carolina was rolling along and they had this uh, unintended plan, but it was a plan nonetheless of, hey, we, we don't have any Q1 wins. We haven't beat anybody that's the NCAA tournament caliber team. However, we haven't suffered any bad losses. Everybody that we were supposed to beat, we beat, and most of the time we beat handily. And that was going to be enough given the, the makeup of the, the bubble right now. And uh, before the Pittsburgh game, looking at it, I really believed, and I think the metrics kind of back this up, is that North Carolina could have gone four and two the rest of the way with losses in Blacksburg and at Cameron. And then as long as they won maybe one game in the ACC tournament, they would have heard their name called on Section Sunday. What happened last night blew that plan up. Um, do I think North Carolina is still in the bubble? Yes. Are they straddling that line? Absolutely. Uh, right now, they're probably in Dayton. But the way you combat that, to answer your question, Tommy, is you go to Blacksburg and you win. Or you go to Cameron and you win. And everybody has already crossed off the game at Cameron as an automatic loss. Well, take a long look at what Duke has done at home against some of these ACC teams. There's been a lot of close games. And there's going to be so much pressure on those, on those kids for Coach K's final home game at Cameron? Really? I mean, that is a, uh, just a ton to put on those kids. And so I don't, I don't cross that one off. Now, Carolina could lose by 40. Uh, but if they come out and they play well and Duke tightens up, they can win that one. But if you win one of those games, you kind of make up for the loss against Pittsburgh. But that's what the loss meant is that now you've got one of these bad losses because NCAA has told us all along, Q1 wins matter most because they want to know that if they're going to put somebody in the NCAA tournament, that team is capable of going on a run. If you don't have any Q1 wins, that tells them, hey, they may go out the first weekend. Uh, and I think that's a big thing. The other part of it too is your know, Q3, Q4 losses are debilitating because it says, wait a minute, this team maybe is not that good. Uh, and so if you've got one of the bad losses, you have to correct it with a big win. And so Carolina, instead of being able to coast and absorb some more losses, they're going to have to win one of those road games, I think. Since you brought up Dayton and being UNC potentially being in the first four, um, John Rothstein, Rothstein has put, out, put this proposal out. I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on it. The I agree NCAA with it. Yeah. Have you seen it, Tommy? No, I have not. The NCAA needs to consider altering the first four and make the Tuesday-Wednesday games feature the final eight at-large teams, thus allowing all automatic qualifiers to advance to the round of 64 and basically get away with the 16 seeds playing and then having to turn around and play a one seed and just make it basically eight Carolinas, like that caliber. Basically, the eight teams that UNC is fighting for right now to get in that bid or there's more, but right. Like have that play. And I think that would be way more entertaining than having to watch 16 seeds duel it out when they've earned the right to not have to do that. In my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you're going to call people automatic qualifiers and then make them have to qualify again. I agree yeah. with a hundred percent. I think you put, um, I don't know if you want to put all the 12 seeds in, Dayton or something like that. But yeah, I think if you win your conference tournament, whatever conference it is, and I think there's more pressure on these one bid tournaments than there is on 
you know, SEC is going to get what nine or ten teams in. Well, you can lose on the first day of the tournament and, and still get in. These teams go through the ringer to win their conference tournament, and then you're going to put them in day. So I agree that you. Uh, I like. Well, I'm a field of 64 anyway. You know, I understand what they're doing, and Dayton's pretty cool. But make it be your major conference teams or, or those. Don't you? Isn't that where you're at, Greg? When you say you agree with it, I am. I think if you're going to, what we grew up with, and what is so special about the NCAA tournament, is that if you win your conference, regardless of what conference that is, you are automatically in the tournament. There is nothing else like that in sport. And it was, it's what makes it so fun. I mean, that first weekend of, the, of March Madness is incredible. Uh, I think you're hard-pressed to find another weekend that's that fun. And it's because all these nobody teams somehow won their conference tournament in their plan. And I, I think that's special. And I think forcing those teams to have to play – I mean, I'm trying to think. It was one of the local, local teams had to play in Dayton a couple of years ago. Um, I, you know, it's Dayton. Yes, you're in the tournament, but it's not. It's not the opening weekend. That's not a tournament. No. I don't, it, the, the, and and they've screwed it up, saying you know, changing this round one, uh, second game, whatever they've done. Yeah. Round one starts on Thursday at noon of the ACC tournament or the NCAA tournament. Period. Dayton is just a is a money grab. I think. Right. It, it is, but I, I think I think if you give all the automatic qualifiers a spot in, in the field of 64, then, yeah, you just let Dayton be a free-for-all, like a bunch of average, mediocre <laughs> power five teams. Have at it. Yeah, and then then that is a money grab because then you end up like a, a Carolina. Or playing. Michigan State or UCLA. or Yeah, Yeah. could you imagine that? I mean, that would be something. But, yeah, I think if you win your, your tournament – you know, it, speaking of tournaments, if y'all aren't watching the ACC tournament thing on ACC Network, you need to, and especially if folks are listening, um, go check it out. But the bottom line is you win your tournament, you should be in the big dance, and the big dance is not going to date. It's like going to the senior prom <laughs> um, and ended up in the sophomore dance. It's not the same um, thing. So, anyway, any more questions in there, Gregory? I see a bunch of people talking about – You're talking tournaments, so – what are the chance? What what are we giving UNC's percentage chances to win the ACC tournament? <laughs> um, uh, they have to get a double buy to have a chance. Double buy. If it started tomorrow, games? they have a double buy. Right. 10%. With the pit loss. Yeah. You got ten percent. Maybe I would Dayton say needs to be. Dayton just needs to be the ACC, like the top eighteen <laughs> of the ACC, <laughs> all playing Dayton. Uh, percentage chance of Carolina I've got him at I've got him at one in four 25 percent chance to win if they get a double bye yeah if they don't I'm dropping that to seven Mm, what do you think Greg I don't uh, look I think 25 (laughs) percent chance is fair have they strung together three or four good games I know they've won that many in a row have they strung strung together three or four good games but who's the that, – that's the thing, like, with the ACC, eh, what no. team in the ACC scares you? Based on yeah. how Duke beat Carolina, that'd be the only one. Yeah, but, I mean, look at what Duke's done. But even done then, no, they don't, they're not scary, yeah. So, I, I think if Carolina can get a double bye and they get hot, they have a chance to, to win the whole thing. I think it'd probably be better for Carolina if they, if they get the 
four seed would be ideal just because you played Duke second round. And you'd probably rather play them where you've got some legs than have to play them in the finals. Um, but if they if they have to play, what would that be? Is it, is it the quarters that they would be? Or would it be the round of six? I don't know. If so they don't get the I'm double by, <laughs> right. If they don't get the double by, they're going to have to win four games in four days. And they just do not have the legs for that. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I mean, or the bodies, yeah. So what percent chance Carolina makes the NCAA tournament right now? I'd say 50% what, chance. Yeah, I'd say it's better than definitely winning the ACC tournament. Um, I was I was pretty certain prior to last night that they were getting in. I think everyone was. After what you saw last night, I think it's a Dayton trip. And I think it's a Dayton trip for that reason. I think it's a money grab. And, okay, so here's, here's, the other, here's the other part of that. What percent chance do you give them of winning on – Saturday in Blacksburg. The way Virginia Tech's been playing. Won six in a row. Yeah, Virginia Tech is playing like the Tate Frazier comment that's early right. in the season. <laughs> Correct. And uh, shout out to Tate. I started to I started to say it took you three months, but you finally got that question right. Hey, I, I mean that's that's like the best scouts, right? They look they look ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, if you'd ask him that's a month a draft ago, on potential, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you'd ask him a month ago about his pick, he would have disavowed it. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is this Carolina team's up and down more than any I've ever seen. Virginia Tech presents some opportunities um, for for Baycott. Um, I don't know. I'd say thirty three percent chance that they can go up there and win. I just I got no faith to see them come out on the road on fire. Have they done that once this year on the road? And like you're saying, you're, are you asking? Boston College. Boston when BC College was coming off of like a three-week COVID hiatus. <laughs> Boston College would have lost to the local, you know, why all-stars on that night. I, I mean, I'm serious. The way they have not shown up on the road, Virginia Tech's going to be on fire. And I think that's a hot ticket there. And look, we saw what the football team did in the environment at Virginia Tech. This team, I'll give them thirty percent chance to win. Um, maybe. What do you think, Gregory? Uh, I mean, I, I it's a road game. Virginia Tech's one. It's probably in like closer to like forty-five. It's like a toss-up game with the benefit because I still think it's a toss-up game with the benefit to Virginia Tech because it's a home game for them. Um, which is I don't think that's far off of what Ken Palm. Oh no, Ken Palm has it. Ken Palm gives them a thirty-two percent chance to win, which I think is low. Um, what did I say? Thirty-three. Yeah, I think that's low because of what we talked about earlier with their ability to bounce back after games. Like they, that is something that we have seen multiple times. And if there's a time to do that, it is on Saturday. There's Great. like, yeah. You're right, Greg. Let me let me get your thought on something I said on my soapbox earlier before you got in here. I talked about being able to come back when you're way down. I talked about being able to bounce back after you've gotten blown out. And I and I talked about it in the in the tilt of there's no expectations. You know, when you're down 20, the basket is big. When you're when the game is tight, the basket gets so much smaller. When you get blown out by Duke. Nobody expects you to do anything the next game, and this team's played well with no expectations. Is that a thing? Is that is Saturday night going to be like that? Every, this team responds when nobody seems to care, or am I just 
simplifying it a little too much. No, I think it's, I think it's mental toughness. Uh, on the flip side of that, Tommy, North Carolina has won four ACC games by at least 20 points. And then three of those games, you know, the next game, they lost. The fourth was the game at Louisville. Louisville's lost, what, seven in a row now? And that was a game they probably should have lost, but they won in overtime with some, some a couple clutch plays late. Um, so even when they've had success, they've fallen off the cliff the next game. Um, and there's just no rhyme or reason to it. And so I, I think what it comes back to, it, it is the, the mental toughness aspect of it. You've, you've got to be able to handle success, but you also have to be able to endure difficulty. And when this team gets punched in the face, uh, it staggers them every single time. And the, we, were, we were talking about it last night after the game. I mean, North Carolina, before last night, 13-1 and one at home. Um, but if you go back and look at some of their home games, uh, the Boston College game was quite possibly the ugliest win that I've covered for UNC. I mean, they shot, what, 29% in that game and won? First time in like 1,500 or, or yeah. 3,000 games that they'd won shooting under 30. So you have that game. You have what was Duke, 31 to 8, 10 minutes into the game. Mm -hmm. And then last night they're down 21 points uh, to Pittsburgh, which is you know, possibly the worst team in the ACC. And that's three of the last four home games. So while early in the year it was just on the road where they couldn't get up, now we're seeing it seep into some of the home games. But then they'll blow out a bad NC State team or a bad FSU team, and people are like, oh, here, here they are. They're back. They look good when they're playing bad competition. And I think a lot of it is just, is just the, the toughness aspect. Um, and I think Hubert Davis is kind of at a loss to how to coach that. And I think it's easy because they get let down when they get smacked around that it is viewed as energy and effort and those kind of things. But when you're just defeated and you allow yourself to be like that, where you just don't feel like you have it. I mean, that that's a toughness issue. That's not you not caring. That's just like you being embarrassed or you feeling like you have no chance and not being able to handle adversity. So uh, it's a very difficult thing to coach. Roy Williams had a hard time with it the last couple of years. He's spoke out about that quite a bit. Uh, Hubert's seeing it now. Um, I don't know how to address it. I don't follow enough other teams to be able to understand. But I will say this. Pittsburgh's only way they were going to win that game last night was about being more physical and being tougher than North Carolina because they did not match up talent-wise. Uh, they haven't done that a lot this year, but they did it last night. So, so give – Give Jeff Capel credit for getting his guys ready to play. So is it a – for regards to what Hubert needs to coach to kind of coach it out of them, is it a talent thing? They're just not talented enough to counter and to bounce back to physical play? Or is it a maturity thing? And they're not mature enough or mentally strong enough to bounce back when they're being hit like that. Like what – and I know it's probably a combination and a crossover, but what do you think holds more weight? It's a great question. And I think Caleb loves is a great topic because um, athletically 
build wise, strength wise. I mean, he's got a lot of skill, but he matches up as well with anybody in the, in the country, you know, just from a, a physical attribute kind of thing. But yet when he gets in these games with guys who are equally as talented, if not more talented and are the same size as him, or maybe a little bit bigger, he has a hard time kind of getting his rhythm. And I think that extends to the rest of the guys. I mean, Baycott's the same way. He struggled against Mark Williams. Uh, I mean, Hughie the last night, his plan was to bang Baycott as much yep. as the refs would allow. That was wow. his only game plan. That's the only chance he had. And it worked. Um, so, I, you know, it's clearly, I think it goes back to the mental toughness. Um, and it's just, a, it's a difficult thing to try to, to coach. You know, we, we were not at that level in terms of, of coaching, right? We don't understand the buttons that have to be pushed. Used to be, you just say, hey, you want to toughen them up. You let them run wind spreads until they throw up. And then you tell them to get back out there and run some more. And that's how you got them tough. We're past those days. Kids these days won't do it. They'll head straight to the transfer portal. And so it, we're in that period of trying to figure out, okay, we, we can't be a-holes to them. Uh, but we also can't baby them because that clearly is not working. So it's trying to find that middle ground, and that's just a very difficult thing to do. Gregory, you want to find a good coach. And I'm not saying the elite coaches that we all talk about. You go find a, a, a team that has a terrible record but plays hard every game. That's a good coach. And he won't get credit for being a good coach because the record may be bad. But you got guys that come out and bust their tails and they're, you know, four and 15 on the season or 10 and 16 on the season. And they come in and they play hard um, night in and night out. Those coaches are the ones that are hard to find. It's easy to coach when you've got the most talent on the team. Or well, and I, think, I think that's what we see in March Madness and these teams that weren't favorites to win their conferences, but then be, because they don't have that level, but then they play hard enough and they get their kids to play hard enough for a few weeks. Um, and then they actually see results. And I think that's when, and I think that's kind of like um, Wes Miller over at UNCG at the beginning, UNCG wasn't very good. And then eventually then recruiting and whatnot, recruiting solves some of those issues. But that's just one example that's popped into my head that we're able to see were like Oral Roberts last year. And obviously Banner is at Texas Tech now. Um, but that's a team that's just like they weren't supposed to be there, you know. But I think those are I think those are the type of coaches you're 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 talking about. Yeah, I mean it's it's if I'm a coach, I don't care how many games I win, but if if they say that dude's teams play hard every night. That's that is a that is the kind of coach that you need, and then you funnel that person into a, a team. Um, I'm gonna say something else that is probably not popular. I don't think you can be the nice guy. I don't know any great coach that's considered to be nice. And Greg, you may disagree there. I'd be interested in your take, but every. Elite coach that I've ever dealt with, every elite coach that I've ever heard about, read about, watched, or whatever, they've all got an edge to them that borderlines on being a bit of a butthole, to be brutally honest. I think you have to have that aspect in your repertoire to, to be a great coach as well. It's just the nature of the beast when you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-old kids, especially, is that 
they have to understand that you're going to play this way or else. And that is one thing that we haven't seen this year with the Carolina game, Carolina team. And I think that is part of the, you get what you allow. And, and Greg, speak to that. I mean, back to the Carolina side, they get punched in the mouth. They don't play hard. They play great to start with. They play awesome the whole game or they, they show max effort. Ultimately, it's on the player. But I think even more so, it's on the coach, right? Yeah, I've got a little bit of an issue. We, we had this conversation back during football season, too, of people saying, oh, you can't blame the coach because the coach has to – you know, he can't be out there playing for the guys. The guys have to want it. I mean, yeah, there's some of that. But, I mean, the coach's job is to win games. And the coach's job is to have the guys ready to play. He's, he's the one making the big bucks. It's his responsibility. Um, you know, if you've got a kid and your kid's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, whether it be in the classroom or at home with chores, you can't just say, ah, he just doesn't want to clean up his room. I mean, it's, it's your responsibility as a parent to, to make sure that takes place. And the same goes with coaches. Um, you know, Hubert Davis is, what, 26 games in? I mean, so – I don't think this necessarily applies to him. He's trying to figure it out. Um, I think it's I think it's interesting that he's taking such a positive approach that you know you would assume after the Miami and Wake Forest games, you take down the rims, you run them to death, you make your point known. He took a different approach. It didn't it hasn't worked thus far. That doesn't mean it's not going to work in the future. And I, I really did. like. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we can have that conversation. Um, I like the idea, though, of, you know, having players come to the office three times a week and they can't talk about basketball. I like the, the, the concept of let me get to know these guys on a personal level so I understand what buttons I need to push, right? Danny Green, we've talked about this before. Roy Williams, I don't think ever, ever said one nice thing about Danny Green because he knew he couldn't because Danny Green would let that go to his head and he'd be sky high. Wouldn't he be paying attention to the next game? But yet, you always heard Roy praise Tyler Hansbrough and Marcus Page and Joel Berry because those guys didn't care. Like, they weren't worried about praise. They are worried about doing the best that they could the next time out. And so you, there is a lot of truth in that. you got to understand what buttons to push. Um, and so in terms of how he's handling some of that, I think it's, I think it's interesting, it's creative, it's new age, progressive, whatever you want to call it. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to work, and he may have to tweak things. But he's so young in the process, he's having to work through it. Some things have not worked. I mean, as he's pointed out, yes, and probably your point, Gregory, after some of those bad losses, they came back and won. And give him credit for that. They could have folded, and they didn't. But the fact that, you know, with that approach, you have this immediate high where they look really good against State or Florida State or whatever – and then they come crashing back down, and then they get, got to get back up. So it's very inconsistent. It's very up and down. He's got to figure out a way to you know, boost their confidence back up, but keep them to stay at that level. And that, that's been the challenge for him thus far. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough it, – it's a tough – and everybody in the chat is talking about the portals change the way that you – you know, I think you got you to find a way that works – which we're not there yet with Hubert Davis um, at 26 games in. But, but then, Tommy, but the, go ahead. 
Well, well uh, but then you find the way that works. And then if, if, if it works and it's proven to work and then the player doesn't want to stick around, drive them to the airport. That's where I was going with that. But what did Huber say? You know, maybe at his introductory press conference and especially in the weeks after you, know, he's not necessarily interested in guys that are one and dones. Yeah. He's wanting guys that come in and unpack their bags. And what that means is if you want guys to come in and wait their turn, like the old school days, that's perfectly fine. You just have to recognize that you are limiting your pool. And it means within your pool, within that scope, you have to be very good recruiting. And you can do it. You can't have many misses. Um, and so maybe he can do that. But if, if, you're, if you're saying, well, he can't be you know, too mean to him, he can't be too rough on him because he'll leave, well, that means he's not recruiting the right guys because he said that he wants guys that will stay a while and that they'll endure the coaching knowing that it's going to help them down the road. I mean, we had this conversations a lot about Roy. Uh, I mean, so many guys just looked out of sorts early in their career, but when it finally clicked for them, they finally understood what Roy was doing. All of a sudden they flourished. And so I understand Hubert's approach, but we are in a different age. And so the, the number of guys that he can get to, to play to that is much smaller and he's just got to be very good with his evaluations and make sure he gets guys that understand that, that value that, and are willing to stick around. And it is a brutally tough situation to be in. Um, in this day and age, with the way it is now, and being a first-year coach, um, we don't know if it's going to work, like we've talked about here. It could work wonderfully. It could fail miserably. But the bottom line is uh, we don't know. And when you're doing it, with so many eyes on Carolina basketball and, and so many people caring. Uh, that's the great thing about um, coming up old school, right? You could go and you could coach somewhere. You could coach at Army or, or you could coach at other some uh, school and then you could come to a, a like a Duke or a Carolina and you could be burned in effigy and you could do that and then you could build it. Hubert's, in the, Hubert's right in the spotlight in 2022 dealing with this i don't envy the man but i tell you what the the biggest issue that every carolina fan i've ever talked to and gregory get in here is the the inconsistent effort and, and that's what he's got to figure out um gregory your take on the whole thing i mean we're 26 games into hubert's deal it's not folks that are talking about change coaches and get somebody outside of the family that's ridiculous but it is Carolina basketball and people have expectations and you look like I've scared you by the way. Oh no. I just, my nose is clogged <laughs> up. So I have to breathe out of my mouth. <laughs> so, you, <laughs> so I'm sitting you, there like <laughs> you party too much cross country. So um, I can't breathe out of my nose, but um, dang airplanes. But anyway, um, take on the whole thing. It's just like, and I get Greg, what you're saying with the whole, like, it's the coach's job to win games and when look at parenting, it's like if the kid doesn't clean his room, like I get what you're saying, but at this point in the season, I don't, and obviously we're not in there listening constantly to what is said, but at this point in the season, I don't understand how a player doesn't get up and get ready for a, like at this point, like I get in the beginning when they don't matter as much or it's early and they're still whatnot, but like, 
this is probably the fourth consecutive on the beat podcast where the theme has been revolved around does this team make the NCAA tournament? And it hasn't swayed in either direction significantly at all. And the play, like the players know that, like they know where they stand. Um, and so it's just like, that's my take on it. As far as the effort thing is as just like individually and chemistry might be something different. And if one guy's not whatnot like that, it might be a completely different factor. Um, but that's my, like, that's what I get stuck on is how that with how many games are left five, are there five regular season season. games left? Um, selection Sunday is what three weeks from Sunday. Yep. It's just like, you, you've only got five games left and we know it's not going to be an issue for Brady, right? Because Brady might have only six games left in his college career. Right. So, and we've seen that with his effort. We know that's not an issue. So why can't that be across the board is where I get stuck on with the players and not really looking at the coaching staff. Yeah. And I wonder too, I think you're right there. I wonder too, though, how much of this is North Carolina being overconfident? And that goes back to the mental toughness because they had won, what, six out of seven coming into that game, and they absolutely annihilated Florida State. That game was over. Pittsburgh's not any good. I mean, Leaky Black talked after the game about, you know, somebody trying to build their NBA resume whenever they come play North Carolina because of the name on the jersey. Um, and we talked about early in the season, you know, there are some teams that – they get more up for playing against the UNC jersey than some of UNC's guys do for wearing the jersey. And that's a problem. But, you know, back in the, let's see, 2018 season, football, Carolina goes down the ECU, gets pummeled oh. by a bad ECU team. Yeah. And after the game, I'm not going to name his name, but a defensive lineman said, <laughs> yeah, we just took him lightly. And I'm like, dude, you went three and nine last year. Like, who are you taking lightly? <laughs> um, and I, I think it's just, hey, we're North Carolina, and that was East Carolina, and we're going to beat them. Of course we are. I wonder how much that – now, is it semantics? Possibly. Um, but I don't know that it's so much the guys just don't care as much as maybe there's a little bit of feeling too good about themselves after playing well for a stretch without – other than the, the Duke game, of course. I don't think it's them not caring at all. I don't, of course they care. I mean, it's their livelihood on the rock on the line. If they want to, um, do they, because they were down by 20 to Pittsburgh in a game that mattered. Well, right? I mean, that's go- the, well, sure. But then it goes back to, <laughs> well, with that, it goes back to what I was saying earlier is they don't have a counter and I don't yeah. like, they like, and I think that shows that they do care because they're like, that you can see the frustration in Baycott when he does the when he get does the thing that he's normally successful at and then isn't and then he goes right back to it because he's like you can see the want to be successful but that's not how you're going to be when the the defender has already stopped it you have to do something else and this team doesn't possess a counter that's the kind of with my explanation to that yeah they're down twenty against a pit team but they didn't they didn't have a counter and I don't think that's a care issue in my opinion. 
Well, that, and Greg, we talked about this before you got in here, and, and I'm going to bring out the old Mike Tyson thing, is everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. That's what I see. You know, I, I, and that, that brings us back to the, the coaching aspect of it, is you got a game plan. You go in and here's my game plan. We're going to do this game plan. Once upon a time, Carolina could do what they wanted to. What did Dean say? I'm not doing what they want me to do. I'm doing what I want to do. Something to that effect. Roy copied it. And Roy did it as well. This team has a game plan going in. And then something drastically changes that doesn't work. And then, Greg, to my issue is, and to Gregory's point there about the counter, it's like, okay, let me keep trying to put this uh, you know, square peg into this round hole, even though everything's changed. You know, that that's an issue to me, and that comes back to the to the coaching aspect of it. I'm trying not to throw it off on individual players. I'm not th- trying to throw it off on individual coaches because it's a group effort to be as bad as they were last night. Yeah. I, I think I, th- I think an interesting part of all this. And this, this may be, well, it doesn't explain it, but it gives some insight into some of the blowout losses versus some of the blowout wins. I mean, North Carolina still doesn't have very many close games this year, but they're shooting 48% in wins, 40% in losses. That's a pretty significant differential. And I think it's 41% from three or 42% from three versus 30% in losses. Um, that's just not one player having an off game, right? I mean, that's when the team's hot, Everybody seems to be hot, but when somebody's missing, it's like it's contagious and everybody misses. I mean, the, the as bad as that first half was on Wednesday, I mean, Pittsburgh just made everything they threw up. And yes, they had plenty of open looks from three, but they also made some very tough contested shots. You tip your hat to them, you move on. But Carolina got stops on 12 of Pitt's first 18 possessions of the second half, and yet Pittsburgh increased their lead. That's what got me is like, yeah, Pittsburgh's not making anything. And And Carolina did the doors open. Yeah. And Carolina did nothing. And that's the kind of, it wasn't, you it finally, what, what clicked for him is one guy got hot, Corin Walton. And that woke him up. And then Hubert, to your point, Tommy decides to, to get aggressive and started doing the full court trap. Pittsburgh had no answer. If the game would have been another four minutes long, Carolina would have won by 10 probably because Pittsburgh just had no idea what to do against that press. But it was just too little too late. Greg, I um, people were talking about Michigan just beating Iowa. So I – and I saw this. I had no idea Iowa was that high up in the net. Can you, Do you have an explanation for how that's possible with them not having a quad one win? How are they at 19th in the net? Uh, I think the the answer to that is let me see here is that Iowa is 18th right Tommy's right there it's uh they're 18th in Ken Palm and you know not not consistently but for the most part you know there's a lot of correlation in the Ken Palm rankings and that the reason why is is uh the net's made up of two primary factors and net efficiency is one of those two and that's what Ken Palm tracks. And so while margin of victory does not matter, it's adjusted efficiency. So if you play a really bad team like Pittsburgh and you lose by nine, 
that's adjusted to how an average team would play against a team like Pittsburgh. So that makes those numbers against Pittsburgh look a lot worse. And when you're playing good teams like a you know Purdue, I don't think hurt North Carolina, but like a Kentucky or a Duke, and they're smoking you, uh, that also hurts. And so I, I, I haven't looked at Iowa's stats, but I would assume they have a lot of close games against Q1 teams, and that's allowed them to jump up ahead of North Carolina because North Carolina just has not had really any success whatsoever against Q1 teams. Gotcha. We need Thank to get out of here. That. We've been we've been on going on an hour and twenty minutes or so. But Vip in the chat, Greg said, uh, Carolina needs a complete roster overhaul. And my response to that is, you can't build a roster from the bottom up anymore. You can't. If that was the case, we're talking about a three, four year plan with Hubert Davis getting his recruits in. I think Gigi is huge. Simeon Wilcher's huge, uh, whoever else wants to come in high school-wise, but that's just not possible. It isn't, Hubert can't do it that way. Um, and that's another change that we've got here in 2022. So how does a roster overhaul happen, Greg, if that's what needs to happen in this day and age? So this is the challenge that, that Roy Williams ran into, and I, I don't think he had an exit plan. And because of that, he got really frustrated and that probably played a role in his, his decision to leave. Uh, but because the NCAA investigation happened the way it did, that really hurt North Carolina's recruiting back, what, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, Roy Williams was able to avoid it by getting guys like Kenny Williams, who had committed to VCU, and Luke May, who was probably headed to Davidson. Um, and some of these guys like that who weren't, Big name recruits. Cam Johnson was what he wasn't even top 200 as a recruit. Uh, and then, of course, transferred from Pittsburgh. So these weren't big name guys. But because Roy was able to get them and he saw that they were better than projected, he was able to develop them and they ended up having great careers. And so he was able to kind of bridge those years where recruiting was really an issue. But then it finally ran dry for him. And then you have a, a year what was it, 2019, where you have two elite freshmen come in, a couple elite freshmen with, uh, with Kobe and, and Nasir. And then after that year, everybody leaves. And while you would typically recruit top 50 type guys, top 75 guys, that could be freshmen and sophomore in those years, could step up and play as, as upperclassmen. I mean, it was empty. There, were, there was nobody in the, in the cupboard. And that has never been the case for Roy, and so what happened? He was able to bring in a guy like Cole Anthony and a guy like Armando Bacot, but they were young, and even though Cole was great, he was injured. And then he had to supplement with transfers. Justin Pierce, Christian Keeling, great guys, but they were not elite ACC caliber guys. But because the recruiting method that Roy Williams had held on to for so long had fallen apart, he was left with a situation of kind of, what do I do? And so what happened last year? Well, he had to rely on a lot of really young guys in a COVID year where they didn't get their normal offseason workouts. And so all the teams, people talk about like Duke last year, Michigan State, Kentucky, all young teams that didn't have any offseason program. And so they all struggled. And so that's going to be the issue for, for Hubert is I think there's going to be a lot of attrition with this team this offseason i think you're going to lose most of your key guys in the rotation 
And so while he wants to build from the ground up, he wants to build from the high school ranks in order to field a decent team next year. And maybe even in 2023, he's going to have to hit the portal. So he's got to be able to balance that. Of, okay. I need guys that can play right now. And Gigi can, of course, but what about a guy like Jalen Washington, who's maybe you know, not an elite, you know, top 20 type kid who can't come in and be a stud from day one. You got to give him time to develop, but if he's not playing, does he get upset and leave? I mean, these are the things that Hubert Davis has to figure out. That's one of the reasons Roy Williams wanted him. He thought Hubert was the guy that could understand the, the way the game was moving with NIL, with the NBA approach, for the you know, four out, one in, the transfer portal, all these things. And it's just going to be a challenge, and he's really going to have to lean on guys like, like Lebo and Brad Frederick to help him figure out how to construct a roster while ultimately getting to the finish line, which he wants, is being able to bring in guys and develop them over a period of years. You have to look at Kentucky this year, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that is the best way to overhaul a roster and be successful. They got Ty Ty Washington, who's a very talented freshman, but then Kellen Grady is from Davidson. Yep. And then Severe Wheeler, where's he from? Um, he's a transfer as well. Yeah. Look at Auburn, right? They got Jabari Smith, a talented freshman. And then they've got Katie Johnson, a transfer from Georgia. They obviously have Walker, a transfer from the school that we're covering on this podcast. But it's like, right? Like you look at those are the two best teams in the SEC right now. And that they basically did what Greg just said they needed to do, like to overhaul a roster. You get and someone in the chat said, get the best available for transfers and get high level freshmen. And that is the new, that's the five years ago, the successful model was the one, right? It was all about the one and done. Or not, it was either that or an experienced team. Now it's a hybrid of you bring in a, a ready freshman and you supplement it with transfers if your development guys aren't ready yet. That's how you be successful. And what's yeah, crazy if is, it, is like if it were so easy, we all could do it. I, I'm not saying it's see my easy, jersey on my wall behind me, but my, that's my how you can do it jersey. over an off season. You have to get lucky with a freshman and you have to bring in a lot of transfers. Yeah. Kentucky starts two seniors and three juniors. Who would have ever thought that for a John Calipari team? But, I would like to know when the last time Kentucky started that tight roster, Joe B. Hall, Tubby, I mean, Tubby Smith, Tubby I mean, is also a transfer. That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah, so it's it, it's going to be a it's going to be a challenge, uh, but you've you've got to you've got to make sure that you evaluate properly, and that's yeah you know, we've talked about it before. But uh, Steve Forbes at Wake wanted Justin McCoy, and that was early. You know, it was right after the end of the season. I think McCoy committed to Carolina in April, and because he didn't get McCoy, he kept looking, and he found Alondis Williams in the. Uh, <laughs> in the portal and took him instead of McCoy because McCoy had already committed to Carolina. And now he's got a guy that's probably going to be ACC player of the year. A fluky, fluky thing. Exactly. And even like, like North Carolina, like Brady Manick, I think is a great addition to the team. Um, you know, not a great defender, but perfect for what they wanted offensively. I thought Dawson Garcia was you know, solid. Uh, and McCoy's not who they thought he was going to be. So, you one 
A, right? One B or C, and then uh, McCoy is going to have to prove his worth, you know, in the years to come. But uh, it's you have to evaluate properly out of the portal. And next year, it's not like Carolina has all these free scholarships. I mean, three guys have to leave this year just to make room for the freshmen coming in. And then if you want to get anybody out of the portal, uh, you got to have more attrition. So, yeah, I mean, you got to get lucky. Um, I think evaluation is important with high school players, but with the portal, especially the upper class guys, you know, if you can't evaluate what you're getting, I mean, Toshiba for Kentucky was a dog at West Virginia, yep. you know, and you knew that and Calipari jumped on him and got him. I mean, it's just a, it is not a good time to be, it's like, it's not a good time to buy a new car. It's not a good time to be trying to build a roster if you can't find the guys that fit what you're trying to do. And the bottom line is Carolina's got to get tougher and they've got to get better. Um, people are calling for a roster, roster overhaul. Uh, I think you're going to get your wish. <laughs> when we look at this team next year, how it plays out, we'll have to see. Hubert and his staff got a lot of work to do. Gregory, anything left before we get out of here? I wanted to end with this one because I thought it was fun. Um, and Zach put it in there multiple times, so he obviously really wants us to answer it. Uh, <laughs> five years, what's more likely, a Final Four or a college football playoff berth? Oh. For, you, for UNC. What would I prefer? Or what no, would no, no. I what, do I think? What, well, sure. <laughs> I think it's different. That's a different answer. I also think a Final Four is more likely because of the stronghold that a handful of programs have on. North Carolina sports. has an advantage in basketball that the football team has never had. Well, I would think that the Final Four is more likely. Um, I would like to see from a – from an outside perspective, the college football thing happened. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're a long way from both, I think. What, what are they closer to right at this moment, Greg? Um, <laughs> I mean, look, Carolina. Like if one was going to happen next year, what would it be? Like, what Carolina, are you okay, to? we'll put it like this. Carolina football was just off the bubble this year, right? Uh, yeah. They, they, they didn't play in Dayton, but they got into the first round. Uh, so <laughs> that is hilarious. They were pretty, 11 seed. Right. It's pretty pretty neck and neck right now, I think. I, I think a- if one had to happen next year, I would like, – like it's like someone from the future came – either UNC football or UNC basketball is going to be in the final four teams next year. Who's it going to be? I'd probably put my money on the football team. I agree. Really? Really? Yeah, interesting. I think because you, I think there's a lot more stability on that football squad than there is on this basketball team right now. Wow, I think next just... year could be a rough year for the basketball program. Listen to y'all selling hope on the football side. No, that's not even selling hope. Yeah. That is just not buying stock into the basketball. We're gonna be doing this podcast in August, and y'all gonna Man, have by, me by July fourth. It's gonna be twelve and zero, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we're going it's gonna be like i'm not gonna oh, do it also, gonna, okay they won that one they won baseball that one starts too. tomorrow so i'll be at the bosch if anyone wants to come say hello nice i'll uh i'll send some people to go say hello to you they uh come on there tomorrow and sunday who are they playing this weekend seton hall look for a weekend wrap up every every week from me about the baseball team 
Good. And deal. then occasionally some player stuff. Yeah. Taylor said, bring the eggs. Are you in the booth or are you in the stands? Surely you sit in the stands covering the games. I like to sit in the stands. Yeah, I was going to say. They got the AC sit. on the booth. It's cold. It's just like, you I like the sound. I get myself a bag of peanuts, sit in right field, and just take notes and watch the game and cover the game. Nice, man. Live well, Gregory, if, if they have a good year and, and beat expectations and get to Omaha, I may, You're going. may, may have to allow you to go so they can uh, – you can enjoy the the fantastic snack bar that they have set up. It's the best part of Omaha. I've never gotten to. I've never been able to go to Omaha. I really want to. I really want to get out there. So thank you. Although I don't know if they're going to make a one. Oh well, who knows? Uh, they might be closer to that than they're closer to. <laughs> anyway, well, now that's <laughs> if we're bringing we... baseball into that. I do think <laughs> baseball teams closer than both the football and basketball program. Hey, and props to the women tonight for beating Louisville. Oh, a big, uh, a big win. That's the best program out of all four of those schools for it's sure. Women's basketball team. Yeah, sure. they uh, they they showed some grit tonight against the Louisville squad, who I did not realize was third in the country, but they beat them um, in front of a lot of uh, students and fans in Carmichael. Fun time there. We're getting out of here. It's been on the beat, sponsored by Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com. Of course, the people you need to be shopping for for your Carolina gear. Ten percent off your premium order. Uh, your premium subscription will get you ten percent off your order from Johnny T-shirt. Take care of them. They take care of us. Rate us, review us, subscribe, like us, whatever it is on Spotify. Um, do it. Rate us and review us. Good ratings, bad ratings. I'd like to hear from you. Chime in on Twitter, however you want to do it. Take care. Watch us next week on The Beat Live. We'll have a bunch of content. It'll be interesting to see what we talk about next week. It might be the same thing we're talking about this week. Carolina Virginia Tech on Saturday is the big one for the week. Greg, Gregory, appreciate it, fellas.